Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. On this episode, it's a love letter to the Chevrolet Performance U.S. Nationals as we get ready to run the biggest, baddest drag race on planet Earth, inside or outside the NHRA. No guests this time, just a rant on the race, a rant on swagger and drag racing, and a rant on why Indy matters still above all else, no matter what form of the sport we're talking about. Let's get going. So yeah, we're getting ready to kick this thing off today as part of the NHRA Insider Podcast series, and no guests, no guests today. Why? Because why? What are we gonna What are we gonna have a guest say uh, the weekend or the couple days before the U.S. Nationals start? Uh, it is Monday as I record this. I am heading out to the race on Tuesday. We'll be working with Alan Reinhardt Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Uh, most some of Saturday, we're gonna start making TV shows on Saturday night, um, doing the stuff on uh, NHRA.TV. So if you're not a person that has NHRA.TV for 27 bucks, you get the whole weekend. For the first time, you get to watch Wednesday and Thursday live. That's Stock Eliminator, Super Stock, uh, all the great stuff. You're going to have video Wednesday and Thursday and then all the way through the weekend. NHRA on Fox coverage uh, picks up on Sunday and Monday. We have a load of coverage uh, for, I believe, four hours on Sunday, and then we have five hours of live coverage of eliminations on Monday. So really is going to be an epic weekend. And the reason I didn't have any guests come on is because I could script their interviews. And it doesn't matter who I'm talking to or what kind of questions I'm asking them. Uh, what are you trying to do? Well, we're trying to win Indy. Oh, you are? That's great. Uh, is that the plan? You always try to go and win the races that you're attending? Well, yeah, of course we try to do that. That's uh, it's exactly what we do. That's why we are professional racers. So uh, it didn't seem to me to be the most, uh, you know, to be the most compelling thing to have people on here. Obviously, there are big stories. We've talked about them leading up to this moment. We've talked about all the racers that are on the bubble, whether they're in the 8, 9, or 10 spot, or 11 or 12 in some cases. Uh, the way this uh, race works with the fact that we have points and a half at the U.S. Nationals means that no one is really safe. And uh, it will provide, over the course of the weekend, some great drama, good and bad. Uh, the good will be people that are able to fight their way in. The bad will be people that don't make the top 10 cut. And there will be, especially in top fuel, at least a couple that don't make it there that probably should have. Top fuel car count this weekend, 21 cars at last count. Could be more than that. I checked before the deadline, so it could have, could have bumped its way up in there. A couple of cars that I uh, expected to see that I had not seen yet. Kevin Kinsley, one of them. He uh, was a runner-up at Indy a few years ago, had an incredible underdog run on Monday afternoon. Then we look at Pro Stock, 20 cars at last check on the sheet there, and Nitro Funny Car was at 19. And, of course, every class basically is at Indy. For the first time ever, top dragster and top sportsman will be there. Um, I don't think it is uh, out of question to say that it will likely be the greatest top sportsman and top dragster race of all time. Qualifying alone is going to be insanity. So it's, uh, it's pretty great. The NHRA made an announcement uh, about a week or two ago to competitors in the stock and super stock classes that uh, they better bring tools and should probably bring gaskets with them when they come to the race because they're they're going to be very aggressive uh, with teardown this year. They're going to be very aggressive with their inspections this year. And to the credit of the racers, this announcement was met overwhelmingly uh, in a positive way. Checked all the normal haunts for racers who would have seen this and what their reactions were. And I was interested to see it because... Uh, you know, who wants to do extra work? Well, apparently everybody going there wants to do extra work, and that's a great thing. It's an old school thing, and it's something that, uh, in my own personal belief system, needs to be the way it always has been. To make stock and super stock the classes that they are supposed to be, 
you got to have the enforcement. And um, if you're a fan of uh, mechanicking, if you're a fan of seeing people wrench on stuff, uh, I would hang out around the teardown barn at the end of the week, meaning the end of the business week, uh, not Sunday, Monday. I would be there on the uh, Friday, Saturday program because you're going to see a lot of cars with their motors pulled apart, a lot of pieces being inspected, and my understanding some new technology being employed by the NHRA tech department to make sure that everybody's on the up and up uh, in the categories of stock and super stock, amongst others. But I know that that's going to be a concentration. And if you're a hardcore gearhead, you know, for me, um, you know, I I don't envy the racers for the amount of work they have to put in. I don't envy the racers for, for any element of what they have to do to be successful at Indy. That's another one. You know, you're going to get your car pulled apart after class eliminations. Obviously, you're likely planning on running in the eliminator. So that's going to require you to not only reassemble it, <laughs> reassemble it in a race prepared manner. And uh, so that's, a, again, another unique test of skill and acumen in those two categories. Not just do you have to have a great car when you show up. you got to have a great car after you bolt it all back together and get ready to run the eliminator races a little bit later on in the week. Five rounds of qualifying in the professional categories. We got some specialty events going on at Indy with the streetcar showdown, which is going to bring out some of the best drag week competitors in the country. Looking very much uh, forward to seeing guys like Tom Bailey and Brian Goldstone, Dave Schroeder, and uh, Joe Barry. Uh, I believe there may be one or two others sneaking in there too, but uh, street legal cars to make a couple thousand horsepower, uh, all attempting to reset the streetcar world record, which is in the 580s in the quarter mile. And these racers will also be preparing for Hot Rod Drag Week, which basically happens the week and a half after Indy. So uh, all that stuff, you got the the uh, back-to-school rematch with WJ and Greg Anderson going to happen. And uh, who knows what else? I'm sure there's other uh, fun stuff in the pipeline that's going to pop up here. Oh, oh, the Hemi Shootout, of course, on Friday. Herb McCandless will be back. One of the highlights of my year uh, for the last several has been able to call, being able to call that the rounds of that race uh, on Friday with Herb McCandless, uh, just a man uh, who has a wealth of stories, who has a wealth of knowledge, and who has a very genuine joy and passion for the sport of drag racing, and especially the Mopar brand, in his heart. I will be uh, picking his brain for great stories as we call uh, as we call those events, and we should all be so lucky to be uh, the age of Herb McCandless and have his energy and enthusiasm for anything, let alone everything like he does. What else? Uh, You know, I I said I wanted to write a bit of a love letter to the race, and I do. And I do because I think at times, you know, even hardcore fans, drag racing fans, we can get caught up in the negative Nancy stuff. And... Indy, to me, is a race that so far transcends the negative side of this thing. It just blows my mind, the stuff that I read that people write, highly uninformed. It's just mind-bogglingly dumb. And I've, I've worked uh, this year a lot on restraining myself from engaging with morons. And so I've, done, I've been fairly successful at it. I think I have, I have removed you know, 62 to 71% of the moron interaction that I've normally had. I'm not perfect at it. Because sometimes, you know, sometimes you get dragged into the uh, the morass of dumbness, but it happens to everybody. So when we examine the U.S. Nationals and we examine why someone would want to be negative about it, let's just blow up some of the let's just blow up some of the negative points, if, if we may. It's the same as every other race. That one that one just floors me. It's the same as every other race. How do we want to pick it apart? Okay. 
Um, where other what other races do you have 180 stock eliminator cars at or 180 super stock cars at? Oh, that's right, none. Okay, so that right there blows it out of the water. You take our combined total of cars that burn nitromethane fuel or cars that run in classes like competition eliminator, it's bigger than everything we do. And we've added top dragster and top sportsman to it. A move that was a couple years late in the uh, in the making, in my opinion. But they're there, and they should be there, and they should have been there. If you have not seen a parade of 20 to 30 super stock A Hemi cars up the return road on Friday at Indy, it ain't the same. If you haven't seen every Copo Camaro on the property, this is the Chevrolet Performance U.S. Nationals, if we haven't seen every Copo Camaro on the property parade their way up the return road, you ain't been Indy. If you haven't watched the cars, the pro cars, you have to use the return road that comes in front of the grandstands. It's one of my favorite things at any drag strip. When the return road comes in front of the grandstands, that's a win. How many iconic moments have we seen over time of that return road, not just at Indy, but everywhere? 87, LaHaye wins the world championship. They tow the car back up the return road like conquering heroes coming back into Rome. Fantastic moment. Force destroys cars, burns them to the ground. He used to stand next to him on the wrecker and wave his hat at the crowd as he went by. That's what that's what makes this stuff special. That's what makes this race another element that makes it special. A massive corral of vintage cars, like vintage historic drag cars show up every year. Massive amounts of legendary racers come to this race, not because, you know, they're on some paparazzi tour. They come to the race because it's the U.S. Nationals. And because it is the biggest, most important drag race in the world. And trust me when I tell you this, I've been to a lot of them. I mean, big, important drag races. And you know what the one unifying factor is about a lot of those big unifying drag races or those big kind of races outside of of the NHRA? You know what they call themselves? Well, this is like the U.S. Nationals of this type of racing. Well, this is like the U.S. Nationals of this type of racing. And you know what? They're right. Because for those races, it is the U.S. Nationals of that specific type of racing. But the comparison stands. It's the biggest version of this that happens. Well, the U.S. Nationals is the biggest version of drag racing that happens. And yes, we can talk about car counts all day long. You can tell me, and and I used to be at it, the, the IHRA World Nationals back in the day, whether they had as many as they did or didn't, we used to always talk about 11, 1,200, 1,300 cars. We're going to be right about 1,000 at Indy this year. And there may, be, there may be bracket races somewhere. There may be another event that pulls in as many cars or 50 more or 100 more. I don't know. But it ain't the number that we're talking about here. It's what's there, it's who's there, and it's how they compete there. How many stories, even in just the last 10 years, how many stories have we seen that are just incredible unfolding at this event? Kevin Kinsley, I mentioned. Joe Costello, one of my favorite stories Joe Costello tells, and I'm sure it's one of his favorite moments as being an announcer, was being at the top end. He was that race, he was working the top end, I was working a starting line, and Reinhardt was in the booth. And so Kinsley wins the semifinal to go to the final round. And he looks over at Joe, and Joe's waiting for the you know waiting for the cue to, to do his uh, in track you know in venue interview. And he just and Kevin Kinsley looks at the sky, 
and just says, holy S word. And he didn't do it to impress anybody. He didn't scream it out loud. He did it in a way that meant, I understand exactly what this moment means right now. And I understand that I never thought I'd be in it. That's what this race does to people. And that's what I think is important to remember about it. I mean, look at last year. Terry McMillan wins this race. Who picked Terry McMillan coming into the 2018 U.S. Nationals to be the 2018 Chevrolet Performance U.S. Nationals champion? One guy, Terry McMillan. And he weaved his way through eliminations, did a masterful job, drove the car like a boss. Rob Wendland tuned it like a boss, and they did what they had to do, and they won the race. This year, they really want to win the race to secure their top 10 spot. We can go right down the line, the upsets year over year that happen here because people get up in their own head. They get up in their own head. The sportsman racers that start competing on Wednesday and finish on Monday, it's just like every other race. Pound sand. If you really think that, pound sand. Because anybody that made it to Monday, anybody that's ever achieved that, making it to Monday to race on that day, will tell you that it is like no other day they've ever raced on. In the moment, they'll say, oh, I'm just going to treat this like any other day. Because you have to, right? If you're going to succeed, you have to block it out. But after the fact, when you're five years down the road from that win, someone says, what was it like to win Indy? You don't say, oh, hey, it was just like winning any other uh, you know, race. No. They will remember the, you know, re- they remember the direction of the breeze. They'll tell you the temperature. They'll tell you the ET. They'll tell you what lane they won in. They'll tell you which hand they grabbed the time slip with. This is not like every other race. And the more, you know, the more I hear people say that, it just drives me up a wall. We live in a world that's a 24-race series. Back when it was a one-race series, yeah, the U.S. Nationals were it. We don't live in a world of a one-race series anymore. This is modern motorsports. End-to-end, across the country, up, down, and sideways. We can talk about the number of races down the road a little bit, but to me, the number of races doesn't diminish what the U.S. Nationals is. And it certainly doesn't diminish its impact on the people that win it. Because you watch those people on the starting line. You watch those people in their race cars. And they're losing their mind. It's an emotional release. It's a physical release. It is exhaustion. It is fear. It is excitement. It is every single nerve ending in your body going berserk. That's winning the U.S. Nationals. You know, when when you're watching, to me, when I'm at home, if I'm watching a race or if I'm watching anything, you're, you're at times, you're placing yourself in the car with that person. Whether you think you are or you're not, you're, you're subconsciously or consciously doing that. You're riding with them. You're trying to steer the thing with them. You're trying to let the clutch out on time with them. So when they succeed, that's when the outburst comes. That's when the excitement comes. And to me, there's just the, the pressure level on that Monday at the U.S. Nationals is, is equivalent to nothing else in the world. And listen, I know, man, there's bracket races out there. You can win a million bucks at a bracket race now. A couple times next year, it's going to be million-dollar bracket races. And you can win seventy-five grand and a hundred grand and 101,000 racing your Pro Mod and 100 and whatever thousand racing your Radio Roaster World Car. You can win all that. And at some point, the money's gone. And with a race car, it's gone sooner a lot. It's gone a lot sooner than it is later, right? Not diminishing what those races are and what they mean and the work those promoters are doing to raise incredible sums of money. But give me a break if you're going to tell me that people are showing up to the U.S. Nationals because they want the purse money. 
course you want the purse money. You don't want to leave there with a, with a ham sandwich in, on one hand and lint in the other when you try to drive out of the gate. But you got to be kidding me if you think that the experience of the competition, the experience of potentially winning the thing, is on the level of anything else in the sport. And again, that takes nothing away from the other races because it's a different style of competition. You go out win the spring fling, you go out win the million, hell yeah. You have absolutely 100% established yourself as one of the finest, if not the finest, bracket racer on, on the planet. Done. But guess what? The same gets said to the U.S. Nationals. The people that want to talk the race down, that are more than happy to talk the other races up, aren't willing to reciprocate. You win class eliminations at the U.S. Nationals, you have the best combination in your particular category, and that is something that people in Stock Eliminator have loved since the class was like invented in, what, 1960 or 1950, God knows what. I have the best G-Stock automatic in the country. Sounds weird to say, but not to that guy. I won class at the U.S. Nationals is a rallying cry of Stock Eliminator racers since the day that class was formed and since the, the, till the last day it ever gets run. It is the most valuable thing you can say to somebody. If you're an engine builder, oh, hell yeah, the phone's going to ring. That's how this whole business works. So for people to say the U.S. Nationals is the same as every other race is one of the things that just it, it drives me up a wall. And we can talk about years where there were 900 top fuel cars that showed up there and years where there was 72 pro stock cars there. And that's all well and good. Because volume is great. Volume produces sometimes a great show. But I can also point to a race 20 years ago where the number one qualifier outqualified the rest of the field in pro stock by about half a tenth. That ain't much of a show, kids. Especially in pro stock. The 20 cars you're going to see run this weekend will be clumped very tightly. There will not be anybody that is four hundredths ahead of the field. Someone's going to be lucky to be 15 thousandths ahead of the field. 21 top fuel cars. Absolutely awesome. Absolutely awesome. That's going to be crazy. Crazy because of who misses the field, as even as uh, interesting as who makes it. And this kind of brings me to my point about swagger. Because I could go on for days about what I think about this race and the people that compete at it. My point on swagger is the fact that for too long a time, for a very long time, NHRA racers have not had enough of it. And I'm not pointing a finger at anybody directly. I think it's it's probably an overall demeanor. But we've not given ourselves the chance to have some swagger. And by God, we should. Because when you sit around and you get nitpicked a lot, which, hey, listen, everybody gets nitpicked a lot. And I'm not saying this personally. I'm not saying, oh, this guy said this. No, no, no. What I'm saying is if the constant flow of discussion is picking on this and picking on that, demean this a little bit, demean that a little bit. After a while, it takes a toll. But look around for a second. I don't really see anybody else racing 335 mile an hour top fuel dragsters. I don't I don't know, maybe I'm missing a, a series somewhere. Maybe I'm missing a type of vehicle and drag racing that's quicker accelerating than a top fuel car. I don't see anybody in a nitro funny car bouncing the thing off the walls and hanging on and skidding the headers along the ground and dirt tracking it down the racetrack like I watched J.R. Todd do and save it 
and Brainerd. I don't see anybody else doing that. I see a lot of really great stuff happening. I go to a cross-section of races every year that would blow your freaking mind, and I see cool stuff happen at all of them. But I don't see as much cool stuff happen at all of them as I do at our events, and we need more swagger about that. We've earned that. And I say we, it's the racers that have earned that. No one should ever apologize for loving the NHRA, in my opinion. And I'm not just saying that because I got this podcast. I don't apologize to anybody about it. People want to bust my chops about stuff, that's fine. I'm willing to have a conversation with anybody. Nobody or nothing is infallible. Nobody or nothing has ever made a, a, you know, every single decision's been great. But at the end of the day, take a look around where you are. If you're an NHRA fan, you're an NHRA racer, you're a pro racer, you're a sportsman competitor, whatever. But stop and take a look around no matter what event you're at. I don't care if it's Epping, I don't care if it's Gainesville, I don't care if it's Sonoma, Indy. It is full of badass people with badass things doing badass stuff. And the sooner that all of us realize that, embrace it, and puff our chest out a little bit, the better off we're all going to be. It bugs me sometimes to to see what people say, what, what people want to kind of harp on. And then there's never a response. There's never a shot back. That's why I feel like I'm compelled every once in a while to shoot back a little bit. Because you have to. Because if you don't shoot back at all, then everybody just thinks you're going to absorb it like a sponge. But every once in a while, if you pick your spots right, and someone says something so stupid that you can't help but respond because you can absolutely level them with facts, that's what you got to do. And when you do that, that's how you get yourself a little bit of swagger. I just finished a book about the 1979 NASCAR season. It's a brilliant book. It's called He Crashed Me, So I Crashed Him Back. It's one of the best racing books I've ever read. Highly recommend reading it. I love the history of stock car racing. I read about it a lot. Read about a lot of stupid stuff a lot, but especially that. And I look at what what happened with them at the 1979 Daytona 500, one of the most famous moments in American motorsports history. Yarbrough and Allison, last lap of the race, start bashing into each other on the back straight, they both skid off the racetrack. Richard Petty wins, and they have a fist fight. It's live on national television. And that moment itself didn't take NASCAR and change it, but what that moment did was set everybody's attention on what was going on. And for the rest of that 79 season, all of a sudden, there were these pretty interesting and awesome people risking their lives at these racetracks, and a lot of people started to pay attention to it. I'm not saying we need a fist fight. I'm not saying that we need to have some sort of bizarre staged incident. I'm not certainly not saying anything like that. But what I'm saying is, is that the people that drive our race cars are interesting people. All of them are. And one of the reasons we do this podcast is to highlight some of that interest, to highlight some of that background. So we need that moment. What, it, what that moment is, I don't know, but it has to be organic and it has to be amazing. John Force is climbing to the grandstands, one of the neatest things I'll ever see. But this can't be a John Force moment. It needs, to, it needs to come from somewhere else in our sport. But when we have it, and when the spotlight gets spun in our direction, we got to have some swagger. Because that is exactly the topic, exactly the attitude that caused NASCAR to grow. If all these people started paying attention in 1979 and they found a bunch of people that acted like accountants and didn't open their mouth about anything, you know what they would have done? Would have packed up their typewriters and gone back to New York. But what did they find? 
They found Daryl Waltrip. They found Kale Yarbrough. They found Richard Petty. They already knew, but they found out a lot more about him. They found out about the Allison brothers. They found out about all these guys that four or five days out of the week were pretty friendly with each other, and then you put them in a race car and sent them around a track at 200 miles an hour, and they turned into Conan the Destroyer. And that was interesting, especially when they started to chirp about it, especially when they started to talk, tell stories, and open up. I'm not smart enough to figure out how that moment happens, but I am smart enough to know that when it does, we best have our chest out and best be ready to talk about it and best be ready to brag on ourselves a little bit because you've earned it. If you drive a 300-mile-an-hour race car, you have earned the right to brag. If you drive a 200-plus-mile-an-hour pro-stock car and hit shift points within hundreds of seconds and can repeat on a Christmas tree with double-O reaction times, you've earned the right to brag. Don't ever be ashamed of any of that. Oh, you're a super gas racer that goes 990 repeatedly and goes 004 in the tree and then loses. You also have the right to brag because you're racing one of the most competitive categories in the entire sport. You have an R-Stock automatic station wagon in stock eliminator that runs a second and a half under the index, a car that probably ran 18 seconds when it was new, runs 12s. You get to brag. So the point of the exercise here is The U.S. Nationals is completely and utterly awesome in every aspect of its being. And the people that compete at it are the same way. I look so forward to this race every year. look so forward to those moments in the morning. Get to the racetrack early. Sun's down. Place is silent. And then I hear the first stock eliminator car fire up. Rumble its way down the return road. Before daylight. And it's awesome. Not a religious guy. That is my religion. It's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And I can't wait to start hearing that sound on Wednesday morning when we get racing. So there it is. I told you it would be a diatribe. About 26 minutes worth. I got to pack my stuff and get ready to go to Andy. But I'll tell you one thing. If you're going to the race, I wish you a lot of luck. If you're watching the race, thank you. If you're going to talk a bunch of junk about the race, go pound sand. I'll be back next week with a post-Indy show. And it's going to be great. See you then.